Hello. So today I want to read a little bit from The Gates of Europe, a history of Ukraine, a 2015 book by Ukrainian-American historian Serhii Ploki. Um, as the title, uh, well, more than implies, it is the book is a history of Ukraine. Um, and it goes from early times right up until uh, the events of 2014 with the, uh, you know, the uh, annexation of Crimea by Russia and Russian intervention in the east of Ukraine and a revolution of dignity and so on. Because um, I've also just recently read um, his new book, Ploki's new book, uh, The Russo-Ukrainian War, which uh, is a very good book and I recommend it. But I thought that this excerpt from the Gates of Europe towards the end really uh, resonates today, even though it was written at the time of the hybrid war in Ukraine and, uh, you know, long before the all-out invasion. So, anyway, having set that context, uh, I shall I'll get on with it. Uh, okay. A symbolic farewell to the Soviet past, the demolition of remaining monuments to Lenin, more than 500 altogether in a few weeks, accompanied the revolution of dignity. Among the anti-Kiev insurgents in the Donbass, there were many defenders of the old Soviet values. But Russian mercenaries and volunteers brought to the region an overarching idea of a different kind. Like the best known of the Russian commanders, Igor Gherkin, they came to the Donbass to defend the values of the Russian world against the West. In that context, they saw Ukraine as a battleground between corrupt Western values, including democracy, individual freedoms, human rights, and especially the rights of sexual minorities on the one hand, and traditional Russian values on the other. By that logic, Western propaganda had simply addled the Ukrainians' minds. It was up to the Russians to show them the light. This interpretation of the conflict has deep roots in the Russian culture and intellectual tradition. While one can hardly imagine modern Russian history without Russian participation in European culture, it is also true that for centuries Russia was cut off from the West or engaged in confrontation with the countries of Central and Western Europe. Which set of historical experiences best defines Russia's love-hate relationship with the West? In the enduring Russian intellectual debate between westernizers and Slavophiles, which began in the early 19th century and pitied the view of Russia as part of Europe against that of Russia as a distinct civilization with a world mission, the descendants of the Slavophiles and anti-westerners now have the upper hand. As for Ukraine, its claim to independence has always had a European orientation, which is one consequence of Ukraine's experience as a country located on the east-west divide between orthodoxy and Catholicism, central European and Eurasian empires, and the political and social practices they brought with them. This location on the border of several cultural spaces helped make Ukraine a contact zone in which Ukrainians of different persuasions could learn to coexist. It also helped create regional divisions, which participants in the current conflict have exploited. 
Ukraine has always been known, and lately it has been much praised, for the cultural hybridity of its society. But how much hybridity a nation can bear and still remain united in the face of a hybrid war is one of the important questions now being decided in the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. The pro-European revolution in Ukraine, which broke out a quarter century after the end of the Cold War, took a page from the Cold War fascination with the European West shared by the dissidents of Poland, Czechoslovakia and other countries of the region, in some cases turning that fascination into a new national religion. The revolution of dignity and the war brought about a geopolitical reorientation of Ukrainian society. The proportion of those with positive attitudes toward Russia decreased from 80% in January 2014 to under 50% in September of the same year. In November 2014, 64% of those polled supported Ukraine's accession to the European Union. That figure had stood at 39% in November 2013. In April 2014, only a third of Ukrainians had had wanted their country to join NATO. In November 2014, more than half supported that course. There can be little doubt that the experience of war not only united most Ukrainians, but also turned the country's sympathies westward. Historically, the shock of war, the humiliation of defeat and the open wound of lost territories have served as potent instruments for building national solidarity and forging a strong national identity. The partitions of Poland in the second half of the 18th century wiped the Polish state off the map of Europe, but served as a starting point for the formation of modern Polish nationalism, while the Napoleonic invasion of Germany at the beginning of the 19th century gave rise to pan-German ideas and promoted the development of modern German nationalism. Memories of defeat and lost territory have fired the national imaginations of French and Poles, Serbs and Czechs. Invaded, humiliated and war-torn Ukraine seems to be following that general pattern. The Russian annexation of the Crimea, the hybrid war in the Donbass and attempts to destabilise the rest of the country created a new and dangerous situation not only in Ukraine but also in Europe as a whole. For the first time since the end of World War II, a major European power made war on a weaker neighbour and annexed part of the territory of a sovereign state. The Russian invasion breached not only the Russo-Ukrainian Treaty of 1997, but also the Budapest Memorandum of 1994, which had offered Ukraine security assurances in exchange for giving up its nuclear weapons and acceding to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty as a non-nuclear state. The unprovoked Russian aggression against Ukraine threatened the foundations of international order, a threat to which the European Union and most of the world were not prepared to respond, but one that demands appropriate counteraction. Whatever the outcome of the current Ukraine crisis, on its resolution depends not only the future of Ukraine, but also that of relations between Europe's East and West, Russia and the European Union, and thus the future of Europe as a whole. And there we go. Uh, quite a lot of that applies uh, much more strongly now, of course. Um, but I do highly recommend uh, Ploki's book, The Gates of Europe, and his new book, The Russo-Ukrainian War, uh, which, uh, well, it's about the current war 
the current invasion uh, and the history and background and context of it. Um, yes, so I suppose that's my little bit of solidarity with Ukraine then. Um, and that's me. I've just lost my train of thought completely. Anyway, yes, <laughs> okay, <laughs> my, my mind's just gone blank. Uh, yeah, I recommend those books, and uh, victory to Ukraine. All right, bye-bye.